and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 5, issue 211. You can play along with us at Cane and Rinse, and our next five games that we're covering include The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, then it'll be Ori and the Blind Forest, after that it's Final Fight, then we return to the world of Doom with our Doom 3 issue, and after that the uh, long-awaited uh, next... <laughs> Quantic Dream podcast with Beyond Two Souls. Head to canerince.com for articles, features, reviews and links to all our stuff. That's the Facebook page and the YouTube channel and the forum. And if you do enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways in which you can support us these days. We do now have a Patreon. Uh, There's no content hidden behind paywalls or anything like that. So if you don't wish to or aren't able to contribute, everything that we create and produce and we put out there will still be free and available. However, If you do feel that the hours and hours and hours of podcasts that we produce for your listening pleasure are worth something financial in return, you can now donate a dollar or more if you want to. Uh, And uh, each month that will come out of your account as long as you stay subscribed, but you can cancel at any time. And uh, that money very much helps us to keep on doing what we are doing. You can find that at patreon.com slash canarince. If you prefer to get something actual, physical, tangible for your money beyond a warm sense of altruism, uh, check out our shop and you can support us by purchasing good quality Cana Rinse t-shirts and bags and each purchase nets us a couple of quid or so. And you can find that at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash Cana Rinse. And as we always say, please do remember we do have another podcast. Uh, and it's all about our love of video games music. It's called Sound of Play, so seek that out on the usual places. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, whatever Android, Googly things you've got. I think there is a Google podcast thing about to happen. We're, we're going to be signing up to that. Um, and please review, rate, and or subscribe to both the shows on whatever services you care to do, or just mention us on social media or tell your friends. Any of that's great. Thank you. Now, joining me, Leon Nightmare Cox, in this issue, it's Darren, I'm Too Young to Die, Gargett. Uh, let's rock. That's the wrong game. Good start. Carl, <laughs> uh, Hurt Me Plenty Moon. Hey, guys. And John Hay, Not Too Rough Salmon, it's his debut. Good evening. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having well, me. Welcome aboard. A bit of a Doom fan, I was told. Yeah, uh, Tony sounded like he'd set me up as some sort of super fan slash expert so hopefully i can meet some expectations between us i think we've got some we've got some fandom between us uh so it's all good it's all good now uh so this podcast is going to cover basically all the doom before doom 3 pretty much so uh mainly it's about doom and doom 2 but there are other things as you will come to hear and we also want to talk uh we want to get down and dirty about the various versions of doom that happened uh for consoles and other platforms uh beyond the original pc versions because there's some interesting uh nuggets to talk about the various versions and the differences and the shortcomings and the 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 long the long goings if that's what the opposite of shortcomings is anyway development on doom started in 1992 when a certain john d carmack developed the doom engine a new engine while the rest of id uh, the id software team finished the uh spear of destiny uh, wolfenstein 3d prequel which we covered in uh issue of the podcast 152 uh Creator, creative director Tom Hall, who's one of the main guys at ID, came up with this uh, enormously uh, 
opulent design document called the Doom Bible. Um, it was going to uh, the game was going to take place on a fictional. Uh, space body moon or planet called tay tenga i think it is mm-hmm. uh yeah uh creatures would burst in inspired by a game of dungeons and dragons that they'd played uh, that's actual dungeons and dragons uh where they'd ended up being overrun by demons um they were gonna include the, the plan was to include multiple different playable characters so i suppose that would take you back to something like um hired guns on the amiga or something like that but you've got this idea of um or gauntlet a, a game that i i often think of when i think of doom is is that there is a sort of 3d gauntlet element to it um however a lot of these uh, as is often the case a lot of these ambitious ideas got stripped back john carmack didn't agree um with certain elements of the story um and a lot of this was ignored um tom hall however went off to join 3d realms that was uh, that's the duke newcomb studio um but he was working on rise of the triad there and that featured uh, some of the things that got thrown away by id software uh from the doom bible yeah, the, uh, the, the it, characters in Rise of the Triad are in fact right. named exactly the same as the ones okay. that were in the Doom Bible. Uh, yeah, all five of them, which is really uh, strange. Okay. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 ultimately, it didn't work in that game. I'm not sure if anyone else has played it, but uh, it became overly confusing as a result. All right, um, and they did another game, Terminal Velocity, and that uh, the Taytenga uh, name or planet turns up in that uh, the doom uh, name comes from an exchange in the uh, the hustler sequel the scorsese film the color of money uh, where tom cruise refers to his uh, well q and his ability to play pool as his opponent's doom basically uh, other inspirations along with dnd um, include aliens uh, the uh, james cameron film and in fact uh, they were looking to pursue an official license so this would have been ahead of uh, games like Alien Trilogy and Aliens vs Predator and all that on the PC um, but actually they decided that they wanted to have more freedom to do what they wanted to do in the end um, and left the li- left that license behind I suppose Aliens would have been you know relatively recent at that point 1986 this would have been 1992 uh, actually the year that Alien 3 came out obviously that's a film without guns but the Alien 3 games all had guns in um the evil dead's obviously uh an influence as well there's chainsaws and shotguns boomsticks uh, and demonic entities uh wolfenstein 3d it goes without saying can i just Uh, point out um yes i um when we did when you guys did the wolfenstein show i remember writing quite a long piece of correspondence and i'd recently played it and i'd recently been playing it around tony's house and watching him play it for the show that's and right. Everything about that game just sticks out so much as this is like a kind of a beta test for something bigger that they're doing to the point where Wolfenstein has all all the corridors are all completely squared off and they've done things in Doom like make it rounder and add in proper textures and things like that. And I always looked at Wolfenstein thinking they clearly were trying to do something more but were limited by either time of release or... Um, technical capabilities or whatnot. Yeah, I think the PCs at the time, and uh, I mean, they, you know, these were famously whiz kid coders, but uh, it took, I don't actually know what the kind of minimum uh, spec for a Doom running PC in 1993 was. I, is it like a 386 or something? Mm. I, I, I mean, I don't know, but um, certainly we're at a point here where um, the Amiga was 
you know, starting to become outstripped by the PC. And, you know, there were games like uh, Gloom on the Amiga that were, you know, sort of uh, simple, simplistic clones of Doom. But you could see that the the extra oomph was needed of, of whatever processors they were sticking, starting to stick in PCs at that point. Um, but let's talk about our personal histories with the game. So, uh, John, were you there with your shareware Doom Episode 1, uh, Knee Deep in the Dead, back at the time or did you come to it at some stage further down the line i don't think it could have been quite as early as 1993 because i was only eight years old at that point uh, and i at home didn't have a pc until quite some time later my parents didn't buy a pc until back after further games like half-life and unreal had come out and at that point you know they were obviously much more advanced than doom but i did spend a lot of time must have been 95 96 ish at friends' houses playing Doom, and everybody had the shareware version of Doom. Um, it was pretty much, if you had a PC and you could run it, you had it then. And I'm sure that there were so many people who probably hated me because all I ever wanted to do was go to their house. And when I got there, I was like, oh, can we play Doom? Can we play Duke Nukem? Can we play um, like Descent or Quake or something? That's pretty much all I ever wanted, and I'm sure it drove people up the wall. Uh, I spent hours and hours and hours on that shareware version. Uh, the eight levels that are available, you don't even get all the weapons in it. Um, from what I recall, I never saw the Pinky Demon sprite for no. a long time because my friend who I played it with the most had a mod on the shareware version that switched all the Pinky sprites out into Barney the Dinosaur. And I remember mm. seeing the Pinky sprite for the first time thinking, what on earth is that? And then realising, oh, yeah, it's the Barney the Dinosaurs. Wait, wait, that wasn't a real thing? Terribly sad. Yeah. Uh, so did you uh, did you end up playing through, you know, dozens of, of different levels? Uh, obviously, we're, we're talking about different versions of this game. There's, an, there's a sequel, Doom 2, but actually, you know, yeah. apart from the one extra weapon and a lot of new levels, it's kind of an extension. There was the ultimate Doom, which was Doom again, but with uh, a new episode. And then there's Final Doom, which is a compilation of uh, episodes by uh, different designers. Um, yeah. And have you been through them all, been through lots of them, been through any... I think uh, to, versions. to say I'd played them all would be a stretch because you've got to look at um, something like the master levels for Doom 2, which has oh, got, yeah. oh God, it's got something like 3,500 levels in it. They just stick a whole load of wads in it as well. But yes. I've certainly been, I've been around a lot. I have certainly played through everything from the original game, all the episodes, everything from Doom 2. I've played through all of the whatever the official levels. I think there's 32 in Final Doom. I've played a lot of the master levels for Doom 2, and I've spent a huge amount of time playing different um, mods and wads and total conversions and all this crazy stuff that stops even looking like Doom or playing like Doom. And there's total conversion packs that switch out everything. So there's, in the true spirit of the original creators, there's a very, very good one. I can't remember what it's called, but it basically switches everything into Aliens. It yes. looks so much like Alien Trilogy. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, some of that stuff uh, later on. And as we go through the different console versions, we'll talk about which ones we played and what they meant to us. Uh, Carl, you were, I know you've said before, you were quite big into PCs around this point, but you still would have been, you would have been pretty young in 1993. But were you, were you a Doom early adopter? I wasn't, um, and this is where one of my more embarrassing tales of video gaming comes from, because 
Um, as we've mentioned on the show, I was huge into gaming uh, throughout the late 80s and, and into the early 90s. And I was, by this point, really into my Super Nintendo and the colourful games and obviously the wonderful games like Super Mario World. And at about 93 was when we had Games Master on television uh, doing a great job and Doom was the next big thing and they showed it a lot. I seem to remember Doom being showcased all the time. And my father, who I played all these games with, we'd look at each other and go, who wants to play a first-person game? Like, ah, obviously, we wouldn't say first-person because it didn't really have that, that tag widely attributed to it at the time, but we'd look at it and go, that mm. is just what a load of rubbish. It looks... I mean, the game looks terrible. Look at something like Super Mario World, which looks incredible. Then look at Doom. It's never going to work. That mm. genre is not going to work. It's going to fail. So... And we had this rage, and we were deadly serious. And I thought it was yeah. the worst-looking game um, around, and I just thought, no, not for me. And then one day, I had a friend at the end of the street, a different friend to the ones mentioned on previous podcasts, as fate would have it. I only ever went to his house twice. And uh, it would be to play Mortal Kombat. And on the floor, he had the official PlayStation magazine. So you're looking at 95, 96. 96, it would have been. And it had the Doom demo disc on the front. I was like, well, put it on. Let's see what it's like. And it's probably the quickest game in 180 I've ever made because yeah. we're talking yeah. within 30 seconds. I knew I was playing something special and that, that everything was going to change and you know nothing was ever going to really be the same again. So I actually came into Doom really late uh, because we're talking PlayStation uh, demo disc, which would have been maybe a month before the official release. I, I, I would hazard a guess that that was probably around the, the, the timeline. Um, so it wasn't the shareware versions. Ironically, they came later. Um, and then the Windows 95 versions. But my whole, my whole history of Doom is, is sort of all over the place because the first one that I played was Doom on the PlayStation. Yeah. And then the second one I played was Final Doom on the PlayStation. Yeah. Then it was Doom 2 on the PC, and then it was Ultimate Doom. So my my order is far from the release order, but um, sure. Doom is, obviously, I came to it two years, uh, two to three years after it had been out, and by this point it was wi- sort of widely known in the media because it was, the, the controversy was unavoidable. You know, we from the newspapers um, and TV shows like Games Master, and it was, uh, they would talk about it on Bad Influence, but they'd be careful not to show much. Um, so the presence of Doom was always around, but uh, I sort of avoided it because I saw it looked like the the worst game mechanic that I'd seen, and I thought it would be horrific, and I thought it would be a very short lived genre. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I've been wrong four times in my life, and I'm sad to say that that was one of them. Yeah, well done, well done for admitting it, um, Darren Gargett. Mm. How about so, you? I think this was installed as a shareware version via my older brother James. Uh, the, the computer was largely his because he knew how to operate it more than we did. So Championship Manager was on there. And uh, yeah, and Shareware Doom. And I think I just opened it by accident or I, I don't remember how I ended up playing it, but I ended up fumbling my way for a few levels. We had no sound cards, so the, you know half the atmosphere was gone. But I still remember being absolutely just pulled in by, by the world around me. I've never seen anything like it before. And I couldn't really comprehend like moving in that kind of space with a keyboard it was like it was it was it was completely alien to me mm. I, hadn't, I hadn't played a first person shooter at all i was you know i was, t- I was too young for wolfenstein i guess and um, i must have been about 10 at the time or maybe nine it's really hard to remember when we had this 486 
But yeah, even without the sound, I remember the Pinky Demons looking absolutely terrifying. And when they turned invisible, I just found it to be something uh, like something else that I couldn't really comprehend like i said a minute ago so yeah um so i played for the shower version and then it kind of just it, it came and went and then as i started looking at magazines and getting like you know corner shops and other news agents around the around the town I, there was like just dem- demo discs with just like things saying like doom on wheels a game called quarantine and i'm thinking how'd you put doom on wheels and that there was like a bunch of these like games that were referencing doom left right and center and i just kept it kept coming back to me and back to me and back to me and it didn't you know, it took me a little while longer for me to actually get around to playing the full version of Doom on the PlayStation. That you know, I'd, I'd realised what I'd kind of missed back when I was a younger lad. You know, no, no fault of my own because I was just a kid playing anything I could get my hands on. But yeah, um, and then from then on, I carried on playing all the Doom clones as they were known back then. But you know, when you look back, they're just games in their own right, such as Hexen and Heretic and Duke Nukem and yeah. And most recently, I played Doom on Xbox 360 on Ultra Violent and Doom 2 on the same mm. difficulty setting and recently well this is for the Doom 3 podcast so I'll, I'll leave that but yeah uh, yeah played the Doom 1 and 2 on the Xbox 360 for the achievement and the you know the um, the, uh, the the you know the bragging rights of having that achievement of completing those two games on Ultraviolent I was going I think I just Good finished job. Dark Souls and Super Meat Boy so I was after another challenge like that but with an older game to see if it stood the test of time and uh, yeah I, I played for them both out of interest, did you have to save Scum to do the ultraviolence completions? Oh, absolutely! It's it's yeah. a mess. Okay, yeah, those things are not at all easy or even fair in places. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have a uh, I, I had a different impression of this to Carl. Um, I mean, I'd already been playing first person 3d games i suppose if you want to call it for for a while um going back to things like mercenary escape from targ on the eight bits and um uh thinking about the the freescape games they were solid polygons and the thing is about them that generally apart from when you got into a into a ship or something in in uh, mercenary or in something like elite or star glider these were these were vector uh polygons you know so wireframe um generally the frame rates were incredibly slow and the thought of um you know fully textured 3d moving around any sort of lick on a home computer was the stuff of fantasy but i had been enamored by first person experiences already so the concept of going into a game that was like you know i saw doom in screenshots on pc for for years before i got to play it um a good couple of years and unlike carl's reaction mine was wow this could be something really really special because um as i mentioned earlier you know a huge fan of gauntlet and and it seemed like a kind of conceptually it wasn't so dissimilar from gauntlet you're thrown into a maze with monsters and you can shoot it's um you know i mean it's kind of you know you can be reductionist and uh, and, and say that lots of games are like that but this had, this had a particular purity to it you could see that um it wasn't necessarily deeply complex or sophisticated this was basically 3d monster maze on the zx81 but with but with far greater speed of movement and far more uh, elaborate and impressive uh, texture graphics that moved around at a pace assuming you know you had a assume that this was pc dependent um even back then in terms of what frame rate you could get i, I imagine that um there's this uh, interesting nugget of a stat um 
obviously this game was uh, initially for MS-DOS and uh, then got converted for Windows and other operating systems. Uh, it was estimated in 95 that Doom was the most installed piece of software in the world on more computers than Windows 95. So, yeah, I had an Amiga, as I say, I had an Amiga 1200 even, which was, uh, you know, which was nice. Um, they they carried on souping up Amigas as that company changed hands. And uh, eventually there was actually a, a, a creditable version, uh, unofficial version, I think, of Doom for the Amiga. And it got Quake and all that all that sort of thing. But back then, my, my Amiga 1200 could only run this game Gloom or similar things in a small postage stamp window. It had no textured floors and ceilings. And it had one gun that you just shot straight out the front. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, but it was basically like a sort of a commercially released public domain game with terrible box art. And, of course, I was lusting after Doom. And when I uh, I couldn't afford a gaming PC at that point, I was recently moved out of home and uh, earning burger bar money and uh, PCs, gaming PCs cost like 1,200 quid or, or whatever at this point. So when the PlayStation came along, first PlayStation um, for 400 quid or whatever it was in 1995, and my girlfriend... Uh, help buy me one for christmas uh one of the games i absolutely most wanted along with tekken was doom and uh and that was really the first time i played it again uh, as with carl the playstation version and we'll talk about the specifics of that version later but suffice to say as with carl i immediately fell deeply in love with it i found it incredibly immersive um and i just was you know apart from you know sessions of tekken uh, in between, I was just absolutely locked in that Doom world for weeks and weeks on end. I bought Final Doom when that came out for PlayStation as well. Um, since then, I've been back on and off. I've bought the there was a there was a box set that came out for the PC in the early two thousands, and at that point, I modded uh, Doom with this J Doom mod, which we'll talk about later, which uh, enabled me to uh, you know free up the mouse look and all that sort of thing instead of the the, the game that we're going to talk about which is uh, no jumping no crouching no no freedom of looking whatsoever no freedom of aim um and obviously that mods that sort of style of mod is, has continued uh to this day um but i've played yeah i've played the xbla versions i've played the ps3 versions um and yeah uh, done quite a lot of uh, research into the other console versions as well. I'm quite familiar with, I remember, you know, it was quite a thing at the time. I wanted the PlayStation because it seemed like the console to get in at the end of 1995. But there was, you know, like, oh, is the, you know, what about the Jaguar version of Doom? What about the 3DO version of Doom? Well, we'll find out later. So the scenario is you are a space marine in space and there are demons coming from beyond space <laughs> is that oh, it's just so typical uh, I mean, of the era isn't it i mean yeah um uh, a quote from john carmack in 2003 regarding the story said story in a game is like story in a porn movie it's expected to be there but it's not that important now i think maybe the world has moved on since 1993 and actually i i would cite many examples of of, of games where the story was incredibly important going way back into the 8-bit days but this was an action shooter this was not uh this was not supposed to be anything clever this was about the experience that like they had playing that dungeons and dragons games being overrun by demons this is like the bit in aliens where they're getting overrun by aliens that is what this is all about and um and for me it served absolutely fine and i remember talking we're not going to talk about the Doom movie in this one. We'll talk, we'll save that for the Doom 3 show because it was closer to that time. Um, but I remember at the time when I was first in love with 
playing PlayStation Doom in the mid 90s. And I remember saying to friends, oh, God, this would make such an amazing film. And and and, and a friend just saying, well, it'd be rubbish, though, wouldn't it? Because it would just be a bloke shooting monsters. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, but if you knew how it felt to be in the game, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it's I mean, actually, there's there's so little to hang anything on. Um We've, you know, it's a scenario. It's a familiar scenario. Uh, well, even a year after making that quote, and it must have already been well into the development, they'd had Doom Three out, and the story in that is, although it's basically the same story as in some of these early games, they flesh that out like crazy, and they go to town with all the PDAs and everything there. So clearly, at the point where he made that statement, he couldn't have even been that on board with it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's more placed retroactively towards towards his opinion on the the doom bible more more than current gaming measures uh it it's just i think it's it's an off the cuff comment because it would have been made at a trade show um or or something similar where he's just responded to someone mm, it's um, taken out of context and yeah and out of context it's one of those things but it it it's a it's sort of the important turning point because doom is just a pure out and out shooter um, there is a, there is a story, but there's not really kind of thing. Yeah, it has a wall of text that like it just dumps it on your screen. It's like the opposite of Star Wars, with like with the scrolling text at the start of the film. Like it just dumps it on your screen at the start, and you're expected to read it. And I'm, I was never into it. Not, not even playing the Xbox 360 version. I was never into reading that text because I just wanted to just <laughs> shoot the demons. You know, Darren Gaget doesn't do reading people. I don't <laughs> think it's even at the start. That it's at the end. Like. It, when you finish the first episode, Knee Deep in the Dead, that's when it then gives you the thing saying mm. you've defeated all the demons that were coming out of the hell portal. Yeah, I don't well, you think would it have told you that earlier. The, in the original, you would have, you know, if you'd bought, not if you'd had the shareware necessarily, but if you'd bought like a boxed copy or whatever, you'd have had some sort of insert or manual explaining yeah. the basic scenario, and that, and that's fine. But um, it's actually worth saying that the version I played uh, first was the PlayStation version, and they stripped out virtually all the text from that version, so it was yeah. it was just a sequence of levels and that was for me that was absolutely fine that was all i wanted i didn't want any cutscenes or pre-rendered sequences or anything that was sort of the intention wasn't it because it was split up into the chapters anyway um without it with, with doom 2 at least it flows from the first level throughout to the end yeah. of the game this one is like uh you know you, you choose chapter one you finish that one and then you could choose chapter two or obviously with uh ultimate doom you can go all the way to chapter four but um, it was always just a case of being a, a series of corridors that you go through, complete, move on. Um, again, what they put out would have been hampered with, with the story uh, in terms of the structure of the game that was released. Yeah, for me, I mean, you know, the 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 appeal of this game, wanting to play this game was about, as I say, it was having come through, having grown up in the, you know, the, uh, the 8-bit era when doing first person stuff at any sort of pace was hard to do and as i say some games did it but to do it with this level this amount of color this amount of solidity mm. and at this pace was like it felt like you know something new and exciting that hadn't previously been possible and so i mean it's interesting now looking at the uh, play, playing it as i have done the last few weeks back on the xbox 360 versions which are close approximations of the pc games with a few alterations that we'll talk about later um obviously the graphics are 23 years old but 
it didn't take me very long, even with the fact that the enemies are a bit mapped, drawn, they're not polygons. Um, and even the world is is this sort of uh, 2.5D entity, not in the same way that like Klonoa is 2.5D or Pandemonium, where you have a slight Z axis to go with your X and Y, yeah. but in that it's not a true 3D world because nothing's ever above anything else. It's... Um, I'm not sure what the actual the the sort of technical constraint for that is, but it's it's basically it's not polygons in the modern sense, is it? It's a, it's a sort of it's a it's a kind of fast coded, hardwired trick of 3D rather than a, an actual th- a solid 3D world, isn't it? In in terms of the structure, it falls back to uh, one of John Carmack's favourite terms, the word mega. Um, you know, it's been referenced a few times, and it'll be referenced later on in the rage when uh, mega textures came in. Um, mm. But he used was it me- mega wads or something? It was mega something. Was was the structure that was used to build up the Doom worlds? Um, again, it's something that he coded uh, for for use to be able to produce this quickly because the Doom engine was a one man construction, whilst uh, Spear of Destiny was being manufactured as you mentioned earlier, Leon. So it had to be something. That, that could uh, the, the worlds could be laid out by a designer that could be quickly lit and textured and as a result they're not these intricately crafted worlds that we see now so in in the time that it would take to knock up a doom level is a fraction of the time that you'd see to to manufacture a, a game these days mm. i've never used mouse look in doom as a, like a mod as you said earlier on, Leon, but mm. did it kind of skew the the world like Duke Nukem three D would when you use the mouse? Slightly. It's um, it depends which which uh, mod you're using. I was using this this total conversion into polygon mod, so it worked fine. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I see. I've never played that one. I, I played one before, which uh, gets to what Darren was saying. When you look up the it it it, it warps makes everything. Makes it look as if you yeah, it warps yeah. as if you're playing with a field of view or something, and yeah, that, yeah. that does become quite disorienting. And as a result, I never ever went with a mouse mouse look. No, I enjoyed, that, I enjoyed that sort of made this. me feel a bit sick. I played most most of Doom through again on with this J Doom mod on, which put everything into polygons. You know, from the collectibles to the monsters, um, all the backdrops. You know, it had a lighting engine, um, and yeah, it was actually one. It's, it was in the options menu. I remember, even though this is probably a dec- more than a decade ago now. Um, by default, if you just played this mod, it would keep the auto aim for up and down as it yeah. as it always had to. You know, where you know an imp standing famously in the very first level you know like yeah. three floors up or whatever and you know you walk into that room and you shoot it and your gun automatically you know there's no animation for it aiming even you just fire out the middle front of the screen and but the the bullets you can see the bullets sparking and hitting up up the top of the screen but if you went into the options menu on this on this j doom modern I, I assume you know it's um something that carries through into brutal doom it's probably by by default is is i assume you've got like free look in that game um uh it yeah you could just unhinge it un- unhinge it and suddenly you've got yeah it, it, it felt it, it felt really exciting all over again to go back to these places that i'd already felt like i'd visited despite the limitations of the no free look and 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 whatever else and and this game added the you know added the crouch and a jump and the free look and all this sort of thing and it it was um yeah it was like sort of revisiting but kind of more like you 
felt like it was the first time in 1995 when the limitations didn't feel necessarily like limitations because you were playing something that was still even two years down the line on the ps1 was still fairly much state-of-the-art in for what it was doing i feel like setting the game on mars done the whole game scenario a favor uh because like the the first level i think it's just it's a great introduction to the game and it's probably like you know the first person shooter of mario's one one you know because it yeah. introduces you to so many elements that aren't going to push your extreme limits but enough to make you aware of things that you know to expect in the future so setting it on mars and you um and you know you're just going up the stairs on the left to get the armor and stuff like that and then you're pressing a few switches here and there but it's when you first discover that secret wall on the right and because mm, it doesn't mm. feel natural but then it, it kind of fits in with the world around you because that obviously doesn't feel natural with the aliens and stuff so the actual the, the mars scenario completely works for me as a you know as a theme and uh you know yeah and it also introduces it also introduces the uh, the idea that you're uh it's not just a corridor shooter either you get to go outside almost straight away don't you yeah. and it's like oh okay this is not just contra- claustrophobic corridors which you know plays a play a huge part of this game but this engine allowed them to do all sorts of uh sort of expansive areas and even though that that first bit there just has a, a armor in the middle of a lake or whatever it just suddenly it made the world feel that much more real but i, I totally i was thinking exactly the same thing about mario 11 i was thinking e1m1 is is like you know the first the first guy you meet is is a goomba basically <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he is yeah. it's exactly the same uh, you, you can see that armor theory. from out the window as soon as you start you've got everything there right. that kind of sets the whole you know the cogs in motion you see the armor outside you're like well how do i get outside question one there's armor up on the left there and there's a there's, if you're playing on hard difficulty there's a, there's a few guys at the bottom and you know i just think it's such a great introduction for the way the doom played yeah it's uh it's yeah it's great we were talking about um when we went back to wolfenstein 3d for that podcast and and tony and i still had quite a lot of fun playing it um because the you know the core movement and shooting and whatever else uh was fundamentally enjoyable to us but this uh going back to this uh i'd say it's even more so because you know as unsophisticated as that was in terms of uh it being very you know uh, blocky corridors and everything was square as we said and uh there were even you know a smaller amount i think probably a smaller amount of enemies and weapons and things like that um this uh you know this this going back to this disp- even with those obvious real you know what should be incredibly limiting things no jump no crouch no uh no look up and down it only takes me a few minutes you know maybe if i came to this for the first time now that that's that's the perspective we can't offer in this podcast Mm. It, it would have been interesting to somebody who's only ever played call of duty or crisis or whatever else and then right here's here's kind of one of this genre's real daddies um would they find it utterly kind of moribund and restrictive or would the fact that it still you know plays so fast and the the shooting still feels so meaty i wonder if it would still think appeal there's a sense there is an element of forgiveness in in how you can play doom um and i say this on the back of how many times we've discussed the early playstation generation 3d games which are incredibly awkward to go to and as much as we may have enjoyed them at the time you know, you, you play them now and they feel really rough and really ropey. And now you can play Doom, yeah, very often. Uh, and you you can play Doom and you're aware that you can no longer look around in a 3D atmosphere or that, that you've become so accustomed to in so many other games. But it still plays smooth. 
smooth enough and quick enough and aggressive enough because it's just throwing enemies at you and you plough forwards and you find that keycard and you carry on going that I don't think the uh, 3D limitations ever hamper it compared to no, pretty much any other early PlayStation it's, 3D it's so game. Much, yeah, it's so much to do with the pace and kind of one of the things I thought, one of the times I went back to Doom after a long gap, uh, I forgot there was a run button. Um, mm, so yeah. and and obviously you know um, I, I, yeah I'm not sure I, I guess that just worked on the PC it was like shift key or whatever I don't know but um, the weird thing is on the like on the Xbox Live Arcade and PSN versions the analog stick works to a point in that you do you can walk at different paces they've actually coded it in so that you know depending on how far you push the stick is how quickly you walk so that adds uh, that wasn't there on the PS1 because you only had a D-pad remember when that that game came out there were there was no um there was no analog stick for the PlayStation um but the XPLA versions still retain the sprint button which you actually need quite early on in Doom 2 to make a to make a gap um to get into to get one of the key cards i think and uh, it's one of those it's like super meat boy you pick it up after a while and it's like oh there's a run button yeah i need that run button quite badly um, yeah, and then but, you never take your finger off it and then you never take your finger off it. Yeah, yeah absolutely like i've got arthritis after a couple of hours of session absolutely <laughs> exactly right. the same with super meat boy yeah yeah exactly right and um yeah it 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 has retained its um yeah, this this real smoothness. Also, I think this was um, I think one of the things that maintains this game in terms of feel for me is that uh, where Wolfenstein, as I say, which I still quite enjoyed going back to, I think your character movement was pretty stiff. In whereas in Doom, you've got a little bit of inertia, haven't you? You kind of as well as yeah. You know, we, oh yeah. The, the, we were talking about them trying to implement sort of angled surfaces, which they didn't manage to do, but when you go up a set of you know blocky stairs it doesn't feel like you're laboring up a flight of stairs you kind of go wee you know you just like you slide up um you're incredible yeah your doom guy your space marine is incredibly mobile i think that's for me it's one of the things that makes it work um and it's it's unexpected because the way the game looks you'd expect it to be slow and plodding and Mm. almost like sort of a turn based where you press forwards and you move forwards one block and the way the enemies move yeah yeah, it's a little bit like that if you watch the way that the um the sergeants and the imps walk around they look like they're sort of on a traction but you can just kite around in circles you move about 20 times faster than anything else and that I think drags away the perception that oh this is going to feel slow and sludgy and like I'm walking mm. through a swamp and it totally doesn't I think that's a valid point because before I'd played it these were the issues that I had in my mind and yeah, um, I didn't compare it to something like Dungeon Master for me it was something like Eye of the Beholder where I imagined which was kind of a clone of Dungeon Master yeah which was kind of a clone but that's the game that I had in my mind when I was going into it and sure. I think that that's why it took me a second. I mean, when I say I made a quick 180, I mean, we are talking really quick, and it was all yeah. to do with that feel. Yeah, I still have enormously, yeah, like I can literally, I know we're going back to histories of the game here, but in this case, it feels important to me because the the impact that actually being in this world had on me, I, I was allowed, I remember I was allowed to play 
my PlayStation, set it up on Christmas Eve because we were going out all Christmas Day. And, you know, I was an excited, I say kid, I was 24, but um, <laughs> 22. <laughs> like but, a kid. Uh, 23, like a kid. Um, and, yeah, I think uh, after watching the, the CG intro to Tekken, which blew me away, um, it wouldn't now. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, Doom, I, I still remember, you know, loading up Doom for the first time. And we're going to go on to talk about the, the, mu- the different versions of music and stuff like this. But I still remember the impact it had. But as I say, it's just... I can't quite um, put into words just how powerful the effect of being there was in Mm. this game. Yeah, the movement speed of Doom Guy, which was a revelation to me when I found out that was his name, it it always (laughs) feels like you're in complete control. Uh, There there are so many games that offer, like Luigi, for example, there's a bit of inertia to Luigi, and I always find him a bit too slippery, and I think that's by design. Like, Luigi is the way he is, so therefore you you take it as a bit of a klutz. But yeah, Doom Guy is just, he's a monster, even though he's running at like 800 miles an hour. I think there's like a famous quote where if you break it down, yeah, know, yeah. meters per, miles per hour, whatever, it's just ridiculous. But it's even like 90 miles an hour or something insane. Even yeah. if he's going that fast, you feel 100% in control of his moves. I never found, uh, maybe once out of 100 I fell off a ledge and, you know, got, got yeah. toxic, poisoned. But I always felt like I was in control, especially playing on ultraviolet of my surroundings and the uh, the run button was a complete um you know crux to that i always felt like i was i was the man of the uh, of the maze really yeah and th- this is a great example of uh, where you know there's there's absolutely no concessions to any sort of realism in this game but yet what what did i just say i i rarely have i experienced a game for the first time where i felt more immersed and more complete you know even though yes you were running around at at 90 miles an hour you're carrying a ridiculous amount of ordnance you're fighting pink demons and dungeons and dragons eye of the beholder type monsters but i was yeah it was everything felt so right and so exciting that i didn't care that it didn't make you know any sense it was like um it was like it was one of those game moments where it was like the kind of fantasy i'd had my whole life up to that point as a as an excited star wars and fantasy loving kid wanting to be a guy in space fighting monsters it was like now i can finally do it it's weird because the 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 scenario that's given to doom you know as a series it, it's always had the Doom guy at the bottom, front and centre. So even though the scenario is quite bland, I get I hate to say it, and you know the, the you know it's all kind of just there, and it's like yeah, just shoot some stuff, wicked. But you feel you feel connected to the guy that you are because he's got his little face there, front and centre. When he takes a hit, you can see his, his you know his visual face like cringe and start bleeding out of his nose and eyes and stuff. And mm. It's a, I don't really feel that about many other first-person shooters, but with Doom, because you can see the face down there, hmm. you kind of got that little bit extra connection. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I'd always kind of, it's, I'd always kind of thought it was a bit silly having Doom guy present in that area. If but you think now about you it come to mention it, yeah, now you come to mention it, maybe it does actually help. Even though, because like, I don't want to picture myself as this kind of cartoony Arnold Schwarzenegger-ish or Dolph Lundgren-ish kind mm. of space marine guy. I, I want to picture me as just some kind of, you know, regular incarnation of me, but who is a a, a space dude. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, the, the, the sort of animation that goes with him taking hits and stuff, you know, it's, it's become, you know, it's become a famous thing. Yeah, you can hear him um, breathe when he takes a hit and, you know, the scream that he gives out when I he dies. The audio, yeah, yeah, I think the audio is important and we'll, we'll come on to that, obviously. Um, but, yeah, maybe in some ways just seeing his little eyes furtively looking around and stuff when combined with 
there's you know the the famously creepy audio the noises of the monsters kind of gurgling away and stuff like that maybe it maybe it does do something good as well as yeah because i always thought oh it's a bit cartoony but then i suppose that plays into the sort of the look of the enemies anyway Um, i feel like it works because if you're in the middle of you know like a fairly uh, fast-paced scene you're running around there's a lot of enemies you're being fired at from all fronts you can you can glance down and see that your guy's nearly dead uh, more easily and more quickly by seeing the fact that you know half his little sprite is red and collapsing rather than actually having to look at the number which is slightly further off the center of the screen so slightly more distracting to have to look over and then you've got to read and process a number which looks the same out of the corner of your eye whether it's on a hundred or ten I feel like I always look at the number, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I always find it more, uh, you know, uh, affecting when I'm because I played an ultraviolet last. That's my last impression of the game. Is when I'm scrabbling around the maze that I've already been to. I'm going back on myself to get some health pickups, and I'm sort of skulking around these, you know, these blinking, flashing corridors, like trying to find the health pickups. And you just see his face, just so, uh, you know, upset and down. Like obviously because he's taken a, a, an imp fireball to his face, like. It, it really worked for me, especially playing on a harder difficulty, and it made it feel more like a survival horror game, weirdly. No, and it is. I mean, it, although it's a, it's got a fairly light touch, it's it's not as overtly humorous as as Duke or, or Serious Sam. You know, the, he has his cartoony face and he has a, a chainsaw or whatever else, and the monsters are kind of, you know, partly by technical necessity and partly um, by design. I think they there is there is an element of the of the hyper real slightly cartoonish about them but actually in the same way as uh you know sam raimi's evil dead there's there's real horror as well as the humor you know there is actually it's possible to be both scared and amused at the same time Mm. um and i certainly spent a lot of my initial doom playthrough feeling incredibly creeped out and that's partly to do with the audio of the ps1 version which we'll come on to um which i sadly i you know because that was my first version it's never the same playing it without that ambient soundtrack but i still get it to an extent i've been playing back through as i say the uh, xbla versions um i turn the music off i'm afraid i don't like the uh, i don't i do not like the original game's music at all um but with just the monster sounds it still has the power to creep me out slightly and make me jump as well opening a door that's got some of the some of the door sounds are still fantastic they've got a real you know clank to them and a and a, and a whoosh obviously there's a there's a limited number of sounds and and you've heard them a lot of times but the immediate you know monster bursting out of its of its closet uh, still has the power to make you jump and i bet on the higher i've only been playing it on the on the normal you know difficulty settings but on the higher settings where you know that one probably one fireball can take you out i imagine doom still has the power to i can imagine you shrieking (laughs) well yeah you'll hear that one of the quick rinses maybe for doom 3 that i do shriek like like i am you know i wanted to i wanted to talk actually before we really talk about the weapons and the combat i wanted to talk about this element of doom that perhaps people don't always you know you think about the shotgun you think about blasting a demon in the face Mm. but there are there are tons and tons of these levels and and I'm sure that you know once you get into the world of uh you know wads there of there are thousands of them of wildly varying quality but playing through the original id software design levels plus the episode by nerve software uh recently there are some really brilliant level designs in terms of um 
puzzles and secrets. Like there are, it gives you the countdown of, of how many monsters you've killed, how many items you've found, <laughs> the percentage at the end, and how many secrets. The percentage. I think there are only about two levels in the entire of Doom and Doom Two where I've ever got all the secrets. This game is absolutely stuffed, and it's not like Wolfenstein 3D where we kind of we said it was a bit silly because it was basically a case of walk round every wall, going uh, 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 and waiting for something to move. This game has little audio clues, little visual clues as well. If a texture's slightly different or if something looks slightly out of place, it's got that whole sort of Nintendo-ish design philosophy. And on top of this, with these, you've got these, you've got this wireframe map that you can look at at any time, bring it up on screen. On some versions, you can move it about freely, but not on the console, uh, recent console versions for some reason. But you can zoom it in and out still. And within these 2.5D levels, i.e. you can never go it's not like a metroid prime map where you have to you know manipulate it to see where you are you're you're you know you are looking top down and you are where you are within that level but there are lots and lots of clever little ideas involving um you know standing in a certain place to activate something as you mentioned john or um pressing on a certain thing or sometimes they'll just throw something in there like a door you have to shoot which is something that or you know for a secret uh and 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 for a game which ostensibly only has three color key cards to to see your way through every level i think some of the puzzles and some of the layouts are just quite magnificent i'd point out um specifically there's a level in doom 2 somewhere halfway through i can't think what it's called it might be called uh, gotcha or something like that where the entire structure of it is just one big circular room and it's based around basically you've got a uh, two big boss enemies in the middle and the idea of it is to just kite around the outside and get them to destroy each other get them to start fighting each other mm. and that's basically the whole level so yeah this i mean it's it's not it's not groundbreaking but it's something that you could never have had to see before like you'd never see a spider mastermind and a cyber demon fighting each other normally but they're just like oh this is this is cool the ground it did break was that exactly that thing you just mentioned the monster infighting thing famously there was the edge 7 review which i don't know if it's ever been identified who actually wrote that because obviously edge wrote things anonymous and famously they gave it 7 out of 10 and said oh wouldn't it be interesting if you you know you could talk to the monsters and all this sort of thing and actually you know people people make fun of that review and i understand why but actually in some ways they were kind of looking at things which have which were were to come and mm-hmm. had also happened at that point but perhaps they'd missed the point of doom at that particular that particular reviewer but the the infighting stuff was the first time i saw that it was remarkable i i um i don't know if i'd i'd certainly never seen it in a 3d environment maybe i'd seen it in a 2d game but it was extraordinarily rare to be able to get monsters to start kicking off against one another yeah it's, um, it's when you start manipulating them to do it on purpose yeah. as well it's kind of essential for doing it on the hard modes in some levels because they're so rammed full of imps and imps are kind of the ones to start the ruckus if you were to do it because yeah. you'd, you'd line it up so they put fire a fireball into the back of a you know an, an enemy I, I guess they're zombies or you know angry men i don't know what they actually are yeah, called, they're, but they're the zombies of the civilians that yeah. run the, the mars bases and yeah so then you know it all just kicks off and especially when you start getting caca demons and all the the great variety of monsters in doom fighting each other and you'll just you'll just sit around a corner and hear them all kicking off and you kind of rue the moment when it all stops because you know you've then got to go in there and start you know kicking some ass it's uh 
yeah, it's a it's, it's a great moment. And when I first saw that as a kid, it was just it was mind blowing to me that when when you see the back of one of the guys shooting another guy in the face, I was yeah. like, oh god, okay, this is an actual thing that happens in games now. And uh, it was a it was a moment that stuck in my mind for uh, well for until today. The the best ones are any of the enemies that have got like a. Um, rapid fire projectiles so the chain gun guys if you get a load of them all in one room they will just cut each other down like nobody's business to the point where one of them will just end up being left killing all the others and the um the arachnotrons the spider things that shoot the rapid fire Mm. energy stuff they'll do exactly the same thing and they'll just wreck a room full of other enemies with no problems now i'm no coding expert but i know enough about games and technology at the time to be fairly confident in saying that that would not have been easy to implement either that whole thing that whole thing would have been a lot of extra cycles of 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 processing and game code even though it's you know it's 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 simple they're not these and these are not thinking these enemies they're not thinking about killing each other they're purely reactive but the fact that they have to have you know it has to be calculating the amount of damage they receive from yeah. from other enemies and things like that is uh you know was it was it was sophisticated and it was groundbreaking even if it was just big monsters shooting each other there was a sophistication there in terms of um 3d gaming that that hadn't really been seen before i think that's the key is it's what hasn't been seen in 3d gaming because it felt entirely different it's um say the, the first i know early on in doom there's a level where you pick up the blue key card and the whole wall opens behind you yeah and enemies are in there now in 2d platforms and stuff we've had enemies come from behind you you know that's not new but i can't ever remember experiencing that in a 3d environment before it was terrifying and, that, and it, it was proper brown trouser time the first time i played it and that room you're in that you're talking about is a pitch black room as well it yeah it's up and then you just see the light behind the enemies so you still they're still really only silhouettes or um you say enemies taking each other out but uh do the Hammer Brothers in Mario not take each other out? Or well, you know, you've got the Cooper Shell that can take out Goombas via you, you know, getting mm. the Cooper Shell yeah. active, but there's no real infighting in Mario. But but you can manipulate enemies or to, to utilise against other enemies. So, it, again, we'd seen something. Or the, the first time I remember luring enemies towards one of the barrels in Doom mm. and then using the barrel to oh, take multiple so enemies fun. out at once. And there was that sense of strategy and... You, you know, I, I, we'd utilised strategy in other games, utilised enemies against other enemies, or had enemies come from behind you, but never in this kind of environment. Yeah, the fact that we can all remember that room as a moment that, that you've described is a testament to how good the, you know, the level design is and yeah. how varied it is per level. Now, it might feel the same overall and cohesive, but when you go from room to room to room, in especially the early parts of Doom 1, it kind of like there's a there's a whole like maze section that's like strobe light in effect, and then there's another area that has toxic floor with a button in the middle, like an island. And even though they're right next to each other, like they feel cohesive but different enough at the same time. So it feels like you're stepping into brand new territory, which you literally are. But it kind of feels like you are hopping from like someone's great idea for a, a room design over here, which has loads of secrets, mm. and a, a completely different area over here that has a functional button that will activate something that you'll hear in the corner of your you know, your TV and go, oh, God, I can, I can hear like a whirring noise. So then you're constantly thinking yeah. about all these different things within one kind of room or corridor. It's, it's pretty incredible for the time as well. And it, set, and it set you up with traps as well. The, the game was willing to lure the player in. It wouldn't over... It wouldn't sort of advertise that something was going to happen. It wouldn't direct you down a corridor. You would just happen across something. A trap would happen. And 
the resulting actions of triggering it um, would occur. And I I remember these becoming smarter in something like Quake, but I can't really remember it happening that many times prior to Doom. Mm. Um, and it happened in so many different ways. The floor would give out and you'd end up in a toxic floor. You'd have, obviously, the wall open up. Or the, the, there's a level where you trigger something and every wall falls away around mm. you and you're just surrounded by enemies. Um, and, and circle strafing is your friend. Yeah, and it just kept you completely on your toes. And then um, something which obviously wasn't new to me when I played the PlayStation version was the uh, the transparent effect on enemies. Mm. That that was horrifying. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really weird when you go back to the earlier original Doom releases, yes. which sort of play very differently. And it... it it was a lot more impressive when I first encountered it on the PS1. Mm. The first time you see a demon running at you, or don't see the demon, should I say, running at you. It's until like Predator it's or something. Right in your face, <laughs> and you're like, what, what's hitting me? What's, and you're looking, yeah. and it takes a while to realise. You just hear that, the munching noise, and you, you, yeah. the number draining down, and the guy's face getting bloody. You're like, what's actually getting me? And then you turn around, and you can just see like a Predator, like, like you say, a Predator-esque uh, shimmer in the graphics. You're like, right, <laughs> where's the shotgun? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about the the menagerie. Um, these are, uh, even though you know they're not necessarily terribly original, some of them are clearly inspired by other things. Um, we've seen a lot of similar things since, both in the you know the Doom game that came after and and other things. But um, I think these maintain. I think they have. They all have what uh, what they call a strong silhouette. Like you can always make out exactly exactly which ones which. Um, they've all got their own iconic behavior very easily identifiable behavior they've all got their own um things that they're they you know there are ways there are tools for each job let's say there there are ways of dealing with each enemy and of course you know like all good combat video games it becomes about managing large groups of these enemies and prioritizing um and and in this game you know it is still uh, it's relatively simple in the sense that yes you know if you've got if you've got a, an area in which to circle strafe you can pretty much avoid everything but of course the game can throw you for a loop by putting you in very tight areas or springing things from behind you or all this sort of thing um and yeah playing through how many levels I did over the last few weeks before this recording um I can't I don't think I was ever bored you know going because sometimes you know going back to older games for Kane and Rince there are moments where you think oh you know I could be playing something something fresher something newer um and as I say I don't know how I'd feel if I'd never played these early Doom games before now there is an element of nostalgia but I wasn't bored I was definitely engaged the whole time constantly you know still feeling the excitement of of getting to the end of the level, working out the the puzzle, getting through the monsters, and and seeing that exit sign. Well, I think you you you've got to look at um, the team that it came from, and in John Carmack and uh, John Romero, you've got two forefathers of gaming, if not you know godfathers of gaming, really. Um, in Carmack was revered for his his environment design, his actual level layouts, um, and. John Carmack is still probably one of the most highly regarded uh, programmers in gaming, uh, even today. And it was just, it was li- it was lightning in a bottle, really, with with Doom. You had the, the two talents came together. And I mean, it's, it's unfair because obviously there was, there was more people to that team, but they were the leaders. And 
Carmack created an engine in which Romero's design philosophies uh, could shine and both just played off the each, each other so wonderfully. Um, and I, I guess that's probably why there was so much hype over Dai Katana when John Romero had more technology to play with. What could he really do after that? Um, you know, and I think that would be for another show. So yeah, the 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 let's talk about the we've mentioned them a bit the 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 sounds of the the monsters and the guns um and this the, I mean this talk this is good to good area to talk about the weapons as well because um you know if there's one thing that people immediately jump to and think about when they think about doom and our three word reviews later will will reflect this it is the shotgun um you know you start you start with the pew, pew, pistol which is uh you know it's a bit weedy but it does a job obviously you've got your fist there as well by default but the first power up in the game that you effectively pick up other than maybe a couple of you know health bottles or whatever is a shotty and um and i gotta say it still feels pretty fun to use but it's not just it's not just the sound of the shotgun which is you know it's i mean it it's not like these days you've got like multiple different sound effects for different weapons depending on what environment you're in this one just makes the same noise over and over and over and over again regardless of where you are or what you're doing um but part of the fun of the shotty for me is the sound of uh enemies dropping as well it's it's you know and again very repetitive sound effects they they come back a lot but every time uh, a, a pinky demon slumps to the floor and makes that that slumping noise it still sounds great and you know what's happened yeah it can happen in another room due to infighting and you know oh yeah and him just died yeah yeah and it it looks quite crude because you see like those blood spatters like the the same decal popping up on the body every time but it's the way the enemies drop and the the noise they give is is the same noise every time but it's that audio feedback that you need to know that you've you know you've taken down a bad guy and same for the pinky you know he'll snarl and flump to the floor and it all kind of just you know it might look and sound a bit a bit dated now because that's what it is but it all comes together and again cohesion is the word i'd use for doom's aesthetic is just it's spot on but the weapon sound effect that gets me the most whenever i talk about doom one or two is the mm. double barrel shotgun from doom two the way he reloads <laughs> those shells and that noise is so satisfying I, it's got the hollow shotgun tube noise oh, yeah. it gives me the tingles and it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I, yeah, it's like the cyclone from Perfect Dark in terms of just pure joy from reloading a gun. That that the Doom shotgun is my happy sound in first-person shooting, and it's like you said, it's not just because I like the sound effect. It's not even just the way that the enemies drop. It's the constant use of that gun with the effective range that it had, which was good, and the spread that it had. Mm. So it became incredibly useful even after you picked up things like the minigun or the rocket launcher and so on. The shotgun still had a core use. So I would continue to use that shotgun. And because it was so effective and fun to use, and as a result, the repetition of that sound Mm. just draws back those fond memories of, of dropping enemies in corridor after corridor uh, you know, episode after episode throughout, you know, several Doom games. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's strange. I just as always associate that sound with just being happy that, that I liked everything about that weapon. I think you come back to the shotgun as well because although you've got, what, eight different weapons, if you include your fists and the chainsaw in the first Doom, or seven or eight? Mm. Yeah, eight and a zero, I think. So yeah, 
So the the BFG and the plasma rifle are fantastic, but you know you're not going to waste them on a, a group of um, soldiers and imps. And also the the ammo is pretty hard to come by. Um, the rocket launcher you're constantly risking damaging yourself because some of the collision detection can be terrible if you're trying to shoot it's around the corner. Not risking guaranteeing yeah, well, damage yeah, to it yourself. Will happen. So the shotgun it, you fall back to it because it's it's kind of perfect all round. It even the the toughest enemies. Even something like um, yeah, the the big um, barons Baron of hell. Of hell yeah. You you only need it, with the double barrel. You only need like four direct hits, and they're gone. So yeah, maybe uh, ten shots from the shotgun. That yeah. seems more economical than sort of pumping five rockets into them. I think technically it fires out eight of the bullets of a of the pistol at one time in a in a slightly randomised spread. So there, there, it's not it's not entirely consistent in what it does, except on the SNES version. Uh, where it's more like a hunting rifle but um the original shotgun i think it does it in a straight horizontal line across the screen when you get the double barrel it does it in a big circle but it also okay. you get more bang for your buck as it were as well you get i think you're right you get seven or eight in the regular shotgun mm. and then the double barrel i think you get 20 right right mm. i think uh, yeah. a great piece of uh, oh, excuse me a great piece of design from the you know the weapon and the the, the, com- the weapons and the combat is the reuse of ammo across uh, the pistol and the minigun or the chain gun because by the time you've got the chain gun you're not looking to use the pistol really at all and it, it's it, that's furthered by you know the the reuse of that ammo and i, I think uh, games uh, later on you know in the in the history of gaming do it as well where they they reuse ammo so it kind of rewards you for picking up earlier ammo so to speak and it kind of goes you know what all that pistol ammo you got before it's kind of pointless now so i have a big gun that can fire the bullets anyway and i was mm. i never i never really saw the logic of putting pistol bullets into a chain gun i, I don't know how guns work so uh, excuse me but uh, like, you put a belt into a chain gun rather than a load of individual bullets i, mm. <laughs> I think yeah, yeah and the, the pistol model's weird as well because you see the like the very basic uh zombie enemies that are obviously using a pistol they shoot it and it has the same sound as yours and when yeah. you kill them they drop a clip yeah they don't look like they're holding a pistol no. they look like they're holding some sort of rifle or a machine gun or something that's right yeah but yeah just the notion of having all that previous uh you know uh redundant ammo suddenly have a new lease of life with a chain gun is is just great now the fr- there are not that many frames of animation in this game certainly by modern standards there are virtually none but um Again, it shows the sort of the effectiveness of um, of the art as as kind of blocky as it is in a way and and lacking in frames. But you can see every frame of when you kill. It's got a heft and it's got a weight. And again, it's very cartoony. You've got like, you know, it looks it looks almost like individual shots from a comic book where you've got you know like bits of blood splatter flying out and and again and and like the insides of the cacodemon ooze out as it falls to the floor and and again yeah. it's incredibly uh simplistic by contemporary standards you know it's not even the way that you would do it in a in a first person game and hasn't been for many many years i think to that point um a lot of the the things like the total conversion wads and stuff and the mods on it i mean i've played quite a lot of the things like final doom and the master levels for doom 2 uh, i've been playing them on the pc using uh, like a version of zed doom and then using brutal doom and although it's it's lovely and it looks a lot nicer 
it doesn't feel like the same thing to me. Playing Doom 2 with different weapon skins and enemies that have lots of different death animations and different noises and more particle effects on fireballs and they do things like that. you get a scorch mark on the wall behind, you get lots of blood splatter. Mm. It's great, but it definitely has this uncanny valley feeling of... Mm this isn't quite ticking the nostalgia box that playing it normally would. It's it's a little bit of a corruption of the Doom that I know more sure. well. Sure. Mm. I think imagination comes into, you know, you, you utilised your imagination as you played Doom with, with the enemies and, and yeah. they had a lot of craft and design. And there's, there's actually a great article on the developed website on the uh, actual designer who created the enemies um, in the Doom games that that I would recommend that the listeners check out, um, and it, it's quite a fascinating read because he was super detailed in what he put in, and then the game was quite limited due to the amount of colours that it could utilise, etc. So certain certain things had to be removed, but not to the point that I ever felt that it was at the utter detriment of those characters. And as I was playing the imagination and the things in my mind of the enemies that are around the corner, they were just as strong, if not stronger, than anything I would encounter in the game. And it just sort of added to it. So whilst those enemies had those limited death animations or those limited animations up close or the lack of detail, as I was playing it, Mentally in my mind at the time, that wasn't really the case. So I've never looked at that as such a negative. And I've always got quite an affinity towards those characters as a, as a result because it they were just so enjoyable and so different. It, it didn't feel like it was one enemy reskinned five different ways. It, you know, each enemy, if you showed me a silhouette, I could point out which one it was. Yeah, and the, and, and that, that's what I liked about it. There was a, an article which, which needs mentioning. Uh, it was in Killscreen just a week ago at the time of recording on the 18th of February, which, uh, which details and have some wonderful photographs, photographs of the models that they actually commissioned to base the Doom enemies on. So I guess this, this is probably why it feels like they've got such uh, physicality and personality to, compared to a lot of enemies. It's kind of the, the difference between practical effects and CGI in a way because they, they actually, you know, they got a professional model maker who'd worked on films to build these enemies. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the original Spider Mastermind right now. Um, at, it's like something out of Stan Winston's Creature Shop. Absolutely, yeah. They're beautiful. There's like a massive um, Hell Knight, I think it is as well. He's like, you know, two or three feet tall. Um, so they use these for reference. And, of course, it's not like now where if you did that, you could basically scan those into the game and make them look at you know photorealistic. These were used as reference, but it was obviously important, you know, in 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 its own way because these enemies have become so. I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to know because maybe if the game hadn't been so significant and so incredibly well received, maybe these enemies wouldn't mean as much as they do now. But I think part of the reason the game it was so well received and so significant is because the bestiary is so strong and memorable. I think that's a similar article, if not the same one that I was reading on the developer website. And it's it's fascinating because it mentions how each um, character that was designed uh, could be taken apart to be studied by the artists so that they could craft them correctly. Yeah. And how years on, how no matter the models and the characters that he worked on when he tells people that he worked on Doom, 
He said it's like I worked on the Beatles' White Album. Yeah. It's th- yeah. that, that that's the thing that people. Always, everybody you know, knows my yeah, work. Everybody, everybody recognizes it. Now we must talk about the the original Bobby Prince uh, soundtrack. Um, now, Darren, you liked this music so much you used to use it on a podcast. You used to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I know, I know these tunes are really iconic, and and I come from a different perspective. Um, for me, they don't fit the game at all because I played a different version first, and they completely detract from the atmosphere. I hate the sound of those MIDI guitars, and but I realise that I'm kind of you know I'm I'm possibly blaspheming. So so, are the rest of you fans of the original Bobby Prince Doom music? Oh yeah. Um, we're talking about E1M1 being like 1-1 one, one in Mario like 50% of that is the music right. mm. more like you hear the even the first couple of notes of that music you know exactly what's happening yeah I love that tune uh, you know the, the reason why I named that podcast ID Cafe was because it was a doom cheat and it's kind, right. of worked, it's kind of worked with the you know the idiots that are hosting it so and then I thought well why not splice in the music that goes with the doom cheat and that's this the, immediately the music that plays in my head is that really fast kind of metal sounding. It doesn't even sound like metal music when you play it back now, but it, it, it works like for what they were going for, like MIDI metal. It, it works perfectly. Bon Tempe metal. <laughs> yeah. You can it's tell a, that's what it's supposed to be. You can tell it's supposed to be a guitar, even mm, though it doesn't really can, sound like you it. You can even hear like the crash of the cymbal, even though it's not, but it, it works. And uh, well, most, a lot of the music is kind of ambient from then on for me. It's kind of in the background, like there's like a creepy kind of like a sneaky kind of sound to, to one of the levels and i don't really remember a lot of the music from the game other than the first you know introduction piece it's um yeah it's mario one one again it's uh yeah so i wouldn't go back and listen to the soundtrack from beginning to end and go oh i loved it but that initial track is yeah it's an earworm yeah so we know that there were uh there are little uh snippets and samples from uh different bands uh generally uh heavy rock bands alice in chains slayer uh, oh, Stone Temple Pilots uh, and Black Sabbath <laughs> um, in various tracks. Um, and, yeah, I understand that for a lot of people, you know, who played Doom, you know, Shareware Doom on the PC and the MS-DOS versions, that, that that soundtrack would have been, yeah, absolutely synonymous. The, the music's an odd one in Doom in that if I listen to the sort of the main themes from Doom, I'll smile and sort of nod to myself and think that's doom and the memories come back. But when I'm playing it, I don't enjoy it. I'm, I, I'm actually one of the people that turn the music off when I play doom uh, and just have the sound effects. Yeah, and it always makes me laugh when people say, you know, the doom two original soundtrack, because you know, how original is it if you're using someone else's music, <laughs> which, you know, that, that makes me chuckle. But in a strange way, quick did similar with the nine inch nails. And I really love the music as I play quick. But that was specially composed, you know, that was... But it was specially yeah. composed, but I actually enjoyed the music as I was playing it. Yeah. Um, whereas I actually found the music a bit of a distraction in Doom. Yeah, I agree. They, they were... I mean, that. yeah, we, if we do the Quake series at some point, we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, I think that was, you know, a few years down the line and they were using higher quality audio and, and so on and so forth. Another aspect we must talk about, uh, we've sort of already mentioned it, the cheats... Um, it's sort of famous. Uh, they go hand in hand. Now, I've never really used any of these because some of the console <laughs> versions don't have them, never really wanted to use them. But if you were a PC Doom player, IDKFA and all the rest. Um, IWDQD. Yeah. yeah um, this was kind of a big part of the whole Doom experience, wasn't it? 
Yeah, especially as like a nine, ten year old kid, uh, a game that absolutely terrified the nuts off of me. You kind of had to go god mode. Uh, I've got a fear of uh, no clips. I'd never really used it. I, <laughs> it's so easy to just screw yourself over. Uh, it's not that. It's just entering the unknown. It's kind of my fear for underwater scenes in games as well. It's it's an odd one for for, for someone who was a games tester and had to do no clip. It's uh, an irrational fear of mine to no clip through walls. It made me feel really queasy. Um, but yeah, um, it's like you're going underwater thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's also like in Treasure Island Dizzy when you can float up for infinite <laughs> screens, and you end up coming underneath the world. It just it doesn't work for me. It scares the life at me and i hate it so no clip was never really a thing but yeah and qd were uh absolute stalwarts for my doom gameplay yeah yeah and they're so recognizable as well like everybody can can rattle off at least a couple of those yeah um, they're like the pc version of the konami code basically y- yeah basically yeah. now i want to talk this is this is the sort of nerdy stuff that i get really excited about um i want to talk about the different versions of doom now feel free to jump in if you've got anything to say if you've got any experience of these versions um i'm going to try not to make it just a completely dry feature list but i think there are some really interesting things about you have to take yourself back it's 1993 slash 94 and like the biggest thing happening in video games so of course every console platform wants a version of doom um Mm. id software and various distributors publishers want to get doom onto various consoles because there's a huge amount of money in it to be made because a lot of people especially young gamers although this was probably like the equivalent of a teen certificate or something um there were also a lot of people like me young adults who were well into games who couldn't afford 1200 quid or whatever to buy a a gaming pc and so um or didn't have access to any sort of pc and so were desperate for a console version 32x was the first version to market so this was sega's ill-fated mushroom add-on for the mega drive uh, or genesis um i didn't have one of these it was like 150 quid i think or or something and um i was already you know thinking about i recently got a snes and i was already thinking about you know the next generation um there weren't a lot of killer apps but if there was one thing that did tempt me at this stage to possibly get a 32x it was this fairly well received version of doom so this was coded by sega's us studio in-house away from id uh, not in japan either it contained uh, a mere 17 uh, out of 18 levels from the first two episodes of doom none from the third episode of doom um it only featured the front facing enemies so there was no monster infighting uh, you can use the cheats, but it causes the game to crash when you finish it and go to a DOS prompt. Uh, there's no secret level. Um, the BFG 9000, the code is in there in the game, but because the third episode isn't in there, you don't actually get to use it. <laughs> so God. that's an odd one. Uh, the Cyber Demon, the Spider Mastermind and the Spectre are all missing. Uh, the music is best described as farty uh and there's no save function whatsoever i'd never heard that music until today and i just googled doom 32x farty music and it just come up with people just moaning about it so much Uh, (laughs) even in like in the summary of the video it's like please don't reply to this video with it sounds like farts and uh, that was it i was off i was cracking up because as soon as you hear it it's got that typical sega noise yeah more so with this soundtrack the 32x it was badly coded and the 32x didn't do anything to enhance the uh the mega drive soundtrack obviously we know that in the right hands it could do phenomenal things oh, use Shiro, yeah. sonic the hedgehog but mm. some people didn't know how to utilize it so i never got to play the 32x version but i did have a friend at school who had a sega multi mega oh yeah and he um he 
played Doom on that, and he seemed to quite enjoy it. I think it was um, generally was his... well received as a as a version, albeit cut down. Yeah, I think if it's the only system you have, um, yeah, you kind you kind of got to receive it quite well, haven't it, you? It's Doom. Everyone wanted a bit. Well, it it played. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching footage of it, it plays at a reasonable pace, unlike some of the versions we're going to talk about. And um, it it was slightly bordered, had a slight window to keep the speed up, but yeah. Um, the next one's interesting. This came out, I think, literally a week after the 32X version. This was for the Atari's ill-fated pseudo 64-bit console, the Jaguar. Um, and this version was coded by id Software. So this is a full-screen version, uh, unlike virtually any other console version. Um, they souped up the lighting effects, um, but... On the flip side, they lost some variation in floor depth and ceiling height. Uh, it's got 22 of the 27 maps from the PC version of the original Doom, although some of them have been significantly altered uh, to play well on the system. Um, you remember the Jaguar pad? It had like a number pad underneath, so yeah. you could just press 1 to 9 to select your weapon. Quite cool. Um, the uh, music has been retooled with new instruments, but there's no music during gameplay, so it's only the uh, title screen music. Um, the way it should be. Missing, well, arguably, uh, missing Cyberdemon, Spider Mastermind, and Spectre again, um, but it was compatible with the Jaglink. Two console networking device for two player deathmatch, and it featured an autosave. So, if you're oh. one of the not very many people who had a Jaguar, you could add this to Tempest 2000 and have a two game collection. So the Super Nintendo Entertainment System got a got a version uh, almost a year later in September '95. This was by Sculptured Software, a, a, a talented team, uh, no, you know, well known for a lot of um, quite high profile ports. I think they did Mortal Kombat Two and and stuff like that. Um, it came on a coloured cartridge, red in the USA. Uh, black or grey in Europe and red, black or grey in Australia. Um, it supported the SNES mouse, so if you bought Mario Paint, you could play the it's <laughs> you know the game that's really not very much like Mario Paint at all. Um, this was uh, the 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 game engine was supported by the Super FX2 chip, as it was known actually the GSU2 chip. Um, it used the Mode 7 effect to scale and rotate the map. So this is the only version where the map scales and rotates around the player. Uh, this, like the 32X, has only front-facing enemies, um, has no textures, floor or ceiling, no particle effects, so no blood impacts, smoke or bullet sparks. Uh, as I mentioned before, the shotgun kind of operates like a hunting rifle. It just fires one high projectile uh, round, as it were. Um, this does feature all five of the PC version levels that were missing from the Jaguar version, but it's missing a different five levels instead <laughs> uh, and doesn't have any console exclusive levels. However, the, uh, the levels in the game do resemble the PC originals more than in other ports. Um, and it was the only console version to feature all three of the original secret levels and boss levels from the PC version. You could play multiplayer if you had an X band or a cross band modem. Uh, which I don't think was a commonly owned SNES peripheral. Certainly, don't, I don't think it was even possible in Europe, possibly in America. Uh, you could play two-player deathmatch if you were able to set that up. There was no save. And one other thing I wanted to mention about this game was because it was a console game, um, I think, I don't know if Nintendo had a say in this, but it was set up difficulty-wise like a traditional game in that you could only select the easier difficulty settings at the start of the game and only the harder settings at the end of the game so it got progressively more difficult you couldn't play the late levels on easier the, or the early levels on hard that sort of thing 
Now, the PS1 version, this was where Carl and I made our bow. This was by a Williams, uh, for, um, later to be known as Midway, there two related companies, studio in America. This version, as we said, came on a CD, of course, had 59 levels, 28 from Ultimate Doom, 23 from Doom 2, two from the Jaguar version, and six brand new levels. It was quite a package. Uh, it had a new lighting engine, which I loved. It had all these really gooey green areas and spooky red areas and so on. It had the transparent spectres, but it also had some uh, shortcomings, such as reduced texture sizes. Um, they'd added some animation to the to the sky in the outdoors. There's a fiery sky backdrop, which was very cool. Um, and you could actually jib the Doom Guy head in this version, which was which was a nice new feature. Uh, as I say, very few um, between level graphics and story text. It didn't have that whole sort of, you know, going from one place to the next thing going on. I don't know why that got stripped out. I don't know if it was for RAM reasons or they just ran out of time. Uh, it didn't have the hardest difficulty setting, which I assume was to do with performance. It was only missing the one enemy, the Archvile, uh, but replaced it with the Nightmare Spectre. He could do without the Archviles. They're horrible Yeah, things. I hate the Archviles. Um, I would imagine the, the Nightmare difficulty missing is possibly because one of the features of Nightmare difficulty is that uh, enemies constantly warp into the level. They constantly right. teleport in. Yeah. So potentially you could completely overload yes. the yeah. RAM yeah. on Nightmare. Yeah, makes sense. Now, the thing I really want to talk about with this version uh, is that revised audio. So the the sound effects were all kind of remixed, remastered uh, by Aubrey Hodges, and he also composed a uh, a multi track Red Book audio uh, OST, which I loved. And this was the sound of doom for me: uh, utterly chilling, ambient rumblings next up was the 3do version in 1996 at some stage now the plan had apparently been uh you know somewhere at 3do towers they decided that they were going to create the definitive version of doom um to really sell their machine unfortunately uh that ended up not coming to pass and a team called art data interactive uh, assisted by logicware had to cobble together a version in the final 10 weeks um, and it played in a tiny little window, which you could actually re- reduce further to uh, slightly improve the already poor frame rate. Um, the PAL version was even slower, uh, had large black borders, um, but it did have an autosave and an arranged version of the soundtrack. So if you want to hear some of those original Doom tunes that we mentioned earlier, but with better, in inverted commas, um, slightly more authentic sounding guitars and things. The 3DO version has that one possible arguable saving grace. Next up, a uh, typically shoddy port for the Sega Saturn. This was by Rage Software for uh, GT Interactive. Um, again, poor frame rate, poor speed. It was missing the lighting effects and the animated sky and the translucent enemies and the echoey sound of the PS1 version. Uh, the They managed to cobble together a slightly improved Japanese version, but it was still behind the PS1 version in terms of performance. It was compatible with the Saturn mouse not many people have one of those um, but you couldn't use it to strafe uh, get to the auto map or change weapons now the next one is an oddity in a curio it's actually kind of a game that slightly exists outside of 
what we're talking about, but also sort of not. Now, I've never played it, but I'm willing to bet that at least one of our number here has played Doom 64. Mm. Yes. Darren yeah, Dargett. I've played it. Of course I have. It was an N64 Of course you game have. With and guns. it was called Doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for the, for the longest time, I wrote it off as just a port of Doom, because it's just mm-hmm. called Doom 64, much like Quake 64 is a port of Quake. So I was like... You'd shoot Nukem 64. Well, that's it. I was like, I don't want to play Doom again. I've got Goldeneye, and, you know, I, I wrote it off for ages. And it wasn't only until relatively recently that I, you know, I looked it up in a, in a curiosity moment and went... It's a completely different game. So I don't think <laughs> you ever played it on the N64. I, I, I played it via emulation, you know, oh, okay. later on. And uh, yeah, I, I was not impressed with it enough to play through all of it, but impressed on the front that it was just a whole new Doom game that I never played before. And the fact that it was, you know, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it, it looked nice and it played just like Doom. I was just like, okay, weird. Um, it has the, the, the classic N64 or uh, rubbishness, for lack of a better word, of uh, of it not handling two D sprites very well, and Doom mm. sixty four is ultimately just all two D sprites. So right. it's got that weird uh, blurring effect that the N sixty four loves to do, especially on two D art. Yeah, auto so auto blur. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it doesn't look doesn't look the best. It's got some nice lighting effects and some crazy level design that you know from Doom, but when you see like that pistol all up in front and it's all blurry, mm. you're kind of like, ah, yeah, it's not not brilliant and it had no multiplayer from what i can remember no it doesn't yeah, I, I played doom 64 okay um i actually i actually rented it um not it was quite a bit after release i actually mm. played duke Nukem 64 first which i thought worked quite well um i played it after goldeneye which was obviously that was goldeneye you know there's no point We've talking that about one. that we know what that was issue 200 yep. i think it and, was. and then by the time i got played go around to doom 64 it was, you know, as Darren mentioned, it was so blurry. And the N64 was a blurry console anyway. But when you've played Doom and you're used to the quick movement, the sharp visuals and everything being delivered that way, in spite of the changes that had been there um, in Doom 64, all I, I couldn't get past... It didn't feel right playing with the N64 controller. It didn't feel right being really blurry. And in, in the end, I actively disliked Doom 64 as a game. Um, it possibly would play better through emulation in a strange way. I, I did not have a good time at all with the N64 pad playing that game. Um, and I, I remember I took it back early <laughs> from renting it, which is quite a damning indictment uh, if, if you're willing to go back, which was two towns over for us. Um, just just to take it back yeah uh, next up these are interesting I, I sort of my in my head I forget these exist from time to time but then remember and think that's really cool um, there are Game mm. Boy Advance versions of both Doom <laughs> yeah. and Doom 2 by two separate developers the first one was by David A. Palmer Productions and came out as late as 2002 uh, 2001 in some territories it was based on the Jaguar version, so that was an id software version, but it was highly censored in this case. Uh, unlike Doom 64, the monsters bleed green instead of red, and d- corpses disappear, and the swastika flags and walls were uh, removed. Um, and hang on, that's from Castle. That's from Wolfenstein, isn't it? No, there, uh, there's. <laughs> I don't know about Doom 1, but in Doom 2, the bonus levels oh, yeah, are that's it. Wolfenstein uh-huh. levels. Yeah, that's what it's from. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and the status bar face doesn't bleed in this case, so it doesn't give you that all-important information. Uh, anyone played Doom 1 on the GBA? 
yeah, well, I was working in the shop at the time, and games like this, uh, there's a brand new, well, I say brand new, there's, a, there's an exclusive Duke Nukem game on that machine, and yeah. there's also X versus Sever that was kind of oh, yes. groundbreaking at the time. Based for, on a flop movie, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Uh, yeah. But those kind of games were really novel being on a handheld, and uh, yeah, uh, from what I remember, they worked okay, you know, they were mm. all right. Taurus Games uh, ported Doom 2, featured all the levels uh, of Doom 2, pretty impressive, uh, but split the industrial zone and the chasm into two. Uh, all the maps and monsters are present, including the Wolfenstein Secret and the Wolfenstein Enemy. Uh, the demon had its original death sound restored, thank goodness. Um, and there was a multiplayer via a link cable available, uh, and you could save between levels on a, on a, on a storage one of four slots amazing uh briefly there was an xbox original version which came with a collector's edition of doom 3 um included a couple of new levels included all the P- uh, levels from the pc game uh didn't feature the console only levels from the different console versions uh, no Xbox Live multiplayer. Uh, so yes, the 360 versions arrived. Um, the first one arrived September 2006. There was a long old gap before Doom 2 arrived in 2010, and then it was unavailable for a period when I think the whole rights to Something Doom to were up Bethesda, in the air. Isn't it? Yeah, Bethesda brought it back in October 2012, back to the marketplace, but it's exactly the same game as far as I can uh, ascertain uh, so these were sold for uh, 800 microsoft points remember those for like seven quid or ten dollars uh doom doesn't have the uh, the console exclusive levels but does have all the pc levels uh doom 2 has all the doom 2 levels plus uh, a new nine level episode by nerve software called no rest for the living now i played through this recently and um it was okay there was some quite good puzzle design in it i thought but in their attempts to be sort of coherent i think uh, they end up being a bit samey um they're all kind of around very much around a theme one cool yeah, feature- like outside castle looking places aren't they that's what right. i remember yeah it while it's not possible to remap the controls at all uh in either of these games or scroll the auto map it does have something a very nice feature which is a 5.1 sound mix which is of course something we haven't really had in any of the previous versions uh so you do get the sound of fireballs bursting behind you and monsters uh, actually appearing in your rear speakers if you've got a surround sound setup which is uh nice however the music is four beats too slow <laughs> for some reason to do due to a bug and some of the instruments don't sound right some of the characters have higher and lower voices um, and there's an annoying bug in Doom 2, which means that the monster sounds aren't affected by distance, which is very disconcerting when you're walking around a level and it sounds like lots of monsters are right on top of you, when in fact they are miles away. Uh, the <laughs> Oddly, the bonus level from the Xbox original version is in the code, but you can't play it. <laughs> <laughs> because it's you can't access it uh but of course it had leaderboards and achievements and multiplayer but as you found recently um although you can still find some randoms out there who might want to play you the lag will render it pointless yeah uh these very similar versions came to the ps3 as part of the doom 3 bfg edition um but then they released them as uh as well they released doom basically as doom classic complete on the psn which includes the ultimate doom doom 2 hell on earth master levels for doom 2 and all of final doom and that's the first time all of those levels had appeared on a console uh, and very briefly there's an ios version which was overseen by 
Carmack himself, I believe. And there's a Tapwave Zodiac version. Moving on. <laughs> I won't ask what the Tapwave Zodiac is. It's a little tablety device, I think. Anyway. It's not as good as the piano, is it? No, there's, there was a Doom piano. Yeah. Yes, that's worth mentioning. Um, yeah, we talked about WADs. Um, and uh, we kind of talked about... Did we talk about Maximum Doom? Maximum Doom is basically the kind of uh, multi-thousand level version uh, where you get every official level plus a load of kind of community chosen or well-regarded wads by other people. So you end up with thousands and thousands of levels. I'm sure you can download it for free somewhere. Um, Of course, curiously, John Romero returned to uh, create a new level for Doom earlier this year in 2016. Has anyone played John Romero's new Doom level? Yes, I played it yesterday. And? Um, it's it's a bit of an oddity. It's actually a replacement for the final level in episode one of the original Doom. So you know the it's very basic little level where you just go outside and there's the, the two Barons of Hell or Hell Knights, whatever they are, they, the things go down, they come out, you, they're basically a boss fight, and then you just step in the teleporter. So instead of it being that very short level it replaces it with something that's more akin to the last couple of levels that you've been playing. So it's, mm. it's quite long. It's got quite a few enemies in it. I think I played it on Ultraviolence, and it's got something like 300 enemies in it. So it's quite a, it's quite a slog. It's got a lot of outside areas um, with uh, the toxic slime. You raise platforms and go between. It's got the full gamut of key cards and everything like that. So, yeah, it, it really just makes a proper final level for that episode. Nice. Uh, and yes, as Darren mentioned, there was there's Doom 64 EX, formerly known as Doom 64 Total Conversion or Doom 64 Absolution. That's uh, an ongoing project. And we must. Yeah, we've mentioned it. Um, but Brutal Doom, this came out just last year, I think. Yeah, this is a complete conversion, which basically makes the whole thing retextures a lot of things, reskins all the weapons, adds a huge amount more particle effects and blood splatter and death animations. It's. I mean, it's called Brutal Doom. I'd say it's gratuitous. Um, In a good way? Sort of, (laughs) yeah. Um, It's quite good fun to shoot an imp with the shotgun and instead of just collapsing like it normally does, you blow its leg off and it hops around on one leg before falling over where you take guys' heads off. Um, It's got a surprising number of new weapons in it that I've, I've not seen before, but I think they're... Uh, they're things from other games and from the enemies. So if you, I just started playing something with Brutal Doom. I think it was on Final Doom. One of the levels on there with the Brutal Doom wad on. You put the IDKFA cheat in, and you've suddenly got about fifteen weapons. And it includes things like you get the like the Mancubus's dual uh, fire cannons, and you get the Revenant's homing fireball thing. Um, you get a couple of weapons that I think are from Quake. So you get like a grenade launcher that looks like it's from Quake. And you get a rail gun. That's there. So I assume you can just download that on Steam. Is it paid for or is it free? You don't download them on Steam. I mean, I've bought all the games on Steam, but then I don't actually have to load Steam to load them up. You just sort of drag and drop things in a folder. Okay. And it runs through itself. I believe it's all free. And the best place to go would probably be to uh, somewhere like the Doom Wiki look up anything you want to know on there and it will have links to Dropbox folders and whatnot, I should think. Neat. Unsurprisingly, when Doom was massive, uh, some uh, Pocket Books publisher pooped out some novels. Between June 95 and January 96, they released four Doom uh, yeah, tomes. Um, anyone read these? 
I read one of these. Um, I don't remember very much about it. The only thing that sticks in my head is, for some bizarre reason, the demons all smell like lemons. Hmm. Citric. That's the only, yeah, that's the only thing that I remember about it. I must have read it about that time. I imagine smelling less pleasant than uh, lemony fresh, but, uh, but there you go. Curious. And there was a comic book in May 1996. It was a giveaway. Uh, right. Now we must hear from our Doom playing community who have posted at canerince.com slash forum. And there's maybe an email in there too. Sean S. Thomas says, I've never actually owned Doom or even played it at length, but I feel like it's an important game in my personal gaming timeline. I've no idea if my perception of it being hugely hyped and discussed title was warped due to being young at the time, but it seemed like its existence hung over my life for years. The kids at school lucky enough to have good PCs would brag about it. Those of us with older Sega and Nintendo consoles would scour the pages of our favourite magazines in the hope that someone had found a way to bring it to our machine. Every month the story said they were close, and we waited and waited. What we were waiting for was never clear to me. I studied those static printed screenshots and read about its brutal, fast-paced, ultra-violent gameplay, but you had to use your imagination back then. It's probably a blessing in hindsight I never owned it, as I fear it never would have lived up to my escalating expectations had it arrived on my lowly system. Doom was also special to my age group, down to arriving as we were turning into adults. Those of us were with tragically underdeveloped facial hair were starting to get served in pubs. Classmates were finding some of Dad's bluer reading stash and bringing it into maths to trade, and the world suddenly seemed grown up and daring. Our mums made sure we weren't playing this computer game they'd heard about that made us want it more. I guess for me, Doom represented that nirvana, this mythical experience I had heard all the kids called talking about and was so desperate to witness. I didn't see it in motion for years, but I look back fondly on the shadow the game cast. And when we went through it all again years later with Quake, I made sure I snapped that one up. Ben Monroe emailed to podcast at canarince.com. My first encounter with the Doom franchise was when the original Doom was released on the Xbox Live Arcade. Being born in the early 1990s, I missed out on the furore of the initial release, and when I finally caught up with the game in my early teenage years, I had already been indulging on the many first-person shooters Doom had inspired. When I did finally purchase Doom for 800 Microsoft points, I didn't know what to expect. I'd heard the name Doom time and time again. In magazines, online, it was a name that carried some weighty expectations as was more than pleased to discover that Doom had stood the test of time. I fell in love with the game almost instantly. The speed of the movement, the variety in enemies, weapons and locations, the grungy soundtrack and vivid art style packed a lot of character and Doom managed to hold my attention for some time despite the Xbox 360 being a platform simply bursting at the seams with sci-fi shooters. Even after I'd fought my way to hell and back and seen the credits roll, Doom still had plenty of reasons to keep me playing. Speedrunning each level and discovering all the hidden secrets, passageways and easter eggs kept me playing for weeks and weeks. And even now, from time to time, I'll fire up the 360 to see if I can beat my best times once more. Doom truly is an icon in every sense of the word. It pioneered what is arguably the most popular video game genre. It was a mastercraft in level design, movement and the 10 second reward loop that Bungie have long coveted. And recently seeing John Romero play through Doom discussing their design choices only enforces my opinion that Doom was a product of game designers and creatives working at the top of their game. Doom was a landmark moment in gaming history, one that has certainly had a lasting impact upon me. I doubt if we ever see another game that completely reshapes the face of gaming quite like Doom did, and I implore anyone who hasn't made that descent into hell to do so. Great to have a perspective there from somebody who's come to it as recently as that. 
and clearly loved it. Dan Ragnar posted, I remember having episode one as a shareware game on my PC. As a 16-year-old, when it came out, I was probably its target audience. I spent a lot of hours playing through, learning where enemies would appear from, finding secret doors and honing my skills to show off in front of my friends. Then I discovered Cheat Codes. IDKFA, in addition to being the name of an amazing podcast, gave you health, ammo, weapons, IDDQD for invulnerability and more. Suddenly I could walk fearlessly through this game. Unfortunately, it also killed my interest in conquering it. Luckily, mods restored my interest fairly quickly. I'm sure I still have four by four 3.5-inch discs stored somewhere with my terrible mismash personal mod. Rocket launchers firing custard pies, red barrels replaced with TNT-laden Smurfs, Beavis and Butthead and Barney the Dinosaur replacing some enemies, the shotgun sound being replaced with someone saying bang, and so on. It was terrible, and I loved it. A year or two later, and Doom became the first LAN game that I ever played. Between the game itself, cheat codes, mods and land doom has been the source of many fond gaming memories for me. There's that Barney again. Hi. Wasn't just you. I didn't realise yeah, that it was uh, a common thing. Yeah, it's very popular. Baker's 12. I picked up the Doom 1, 2 and Final Doom box set when I got my first PC. At that time, newer FPSs had hit the market, but Doom still had a lot going for it. The level design, sound, enemies and weapons were all amazing, a lot of them downright iconic. Once I had completed all three games, I delved into mods that were on the early days of the internet. It was a mixed bag. Uh, When not much in the way of reviews, it was a lucky dip of the quality that you would get. For every amazingly well-realised version of a film world recreated in Doom, there were many more unworkable messes with assets missing, an ugly ugly presentation, and let's not even mention the adult mods. Two mods that did stick out to me was an Alien vs Predator one that was so good it could have been an official game, and a Terminator Future War mod that was hard as nails, yet very rewarding when you killed a T-800. Oh, it's another email from Paul L. Snyder. Doom is perhaps the first game that I was absolutely desperate to get my hands on before it came out. I'd spent uh, much of the previous year playing Wolfenstein 3D, and on day of its release I was home from college trying to coax it to download through my father's 9600 bowed modem. It was everything I'd hoped for. Angled walls, elevation changes, huge complex spaces to explore. It's hard to believe that this game came out only a year and a half after Wolfenstein 3D, and the technological achievement that it represents may be somewhat hard to see from this modern remove, particularly since its conventions now seem cliché. We may no longer call every FPS a Doom clone, but they are all built on the same skeletons. The WASD mouse look system had not yet been conventionalised, and game control setups were still being explored. Being able to strafe was a huge deal, and circle strafing was a revelation. Going back to play Doom after some years away, the most notable notable control difference, after adjusting key bindings to fit my current tastes, is the player's inertia. Direction changes are not instant, and this momentum carries through the feeling of play, propelling your marine through the level rather than encouraging lurking and planning. The game responds exceptionally well to skill. I particularly enjoy the ability to dodge enemy shots, not those from your bullet-firing former soldiers, of course, but nearly every other enemy has ranged attacks that move at speeds quite compatible with skillful evasion. The chaos raised when a stray projectile strikes another enemy and they turn their rage on each other never grows old. Sprite-based enemy designs may be a bit jarring after playing a current high-poly count shooter, but the gameplay remains undeniably solid. 
One thing that was lost as game companies chased themselves down polygonal rat holes was Doom's sense of fighting the hordes, swarms of enemies pushing you to the edges of your ability with no duck into cover button or auto-regenerating health to fall back on. No more knee-deep in the dead. To be fair, though, from Serious Sam on, there have been some attempts to recapture that sense of full-tilt mayhem. With Doom, the FPS began to cast its long shadow over the PC game scene, and the rest of the 90s were depressing. Were a depressing glut of frequently uninspired and uninspiring first-person slogs, mostly with the same set of guns, pistols, shotty, chain gun, rocket, that Doom had crystallised as essential. It was only well into the new millennium that the rise of indie developers began to break PC gaming out of its ossification, leading to the current renaissance where the FPS must share its dominance with a much wider range of gaming styles. It's worth mentioning that ever since id Software released the source code for Doom in 1997, there has been a lively scene keeping Doom alive and relevant on modern systems. Check out the Doomsday engine for the version that crams in the highest level of graphical advancements. Z-Doom or Doom Legacy for something in the middle, including support for the fancy-dancy extensions introduced in the Boom source port, or Chocolate Doom if you're a traditionalist. These days, when I revisit Doom and Doom 2, it is mostly using the Doomsday engine, which is quite graphically acceptable, and I always feel more comfortable being able to mouse look about, even if it has no real effect on the way the game plays. This isn't essential, though, and I played through episode 1 through the version included with Doom 3 on Steam, and it was perfectly acceptable. Whatever their graphical form, Doom's levels are burned into my brain. Those spaces, traversed so frequently over so many years, are as real to memory as any physical place that I've been. Thank you very much for that email. And finally, Alex Dola, our regular contributor from the forum. Doom is a game I remained largely unaware of until it was released for the Super Nintendo just as I started college. I didn't buy it. I didn't even know what it was. But one day a friend and I swapped some carts and I went home with his copy of the game. It lay on my desk for ages before I finally got around to playing it and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Most of the games I played up until this point were just that, games. But Doom was a real 3D world and it blew my mind. The tension of running through those corridors, low on health, monsters groaning. It really was incredible. I never finished the game before giving it back. I probably never got that far at all, but the memory of playing it the first time I'll never forget. Years later, when I finally bought my first PC in 1999, I got back into playing Doom and a friend introduced me to custom wads. We'd spend longer searching for and tinkering with these and actually playing them, but it was always a laugh, running around Doom with Simpson skins or whatever else we'd found. I remember reading my games magazines at the time and the term FPS hadn't even been invented yet and all FPS games would just be referred to as Doom clones, although the genre listed under Doom itself simply said, It's Doom. It really did have that much of an impact on gaming history. Doom may not have been the first ever FPS, but it was the one that people talked about. I even bought the iPhone version that came out in the early days of the App Store. It controlled pretty well using a steering wheel type thing to move about. I have a lot of fun memories of playing Doom, mostly formed around friends of the time and playing together rather than the actual game itself. But for that reason, it'll always be a little bit special. And if it wasn't for Doom, where would we be now, really? Would there be a Halo, a Quake, a Far Cry, a Crisis? Every FPS ever probably owes a little debt to the daddy of them all. Lovely stuff. Thank you, everybody. And now, in brief, our three-word reviews from Twitter, at Kane Rince, starting with Darren Gargett. Hmm. Uh, Elaine Stryker says, can't look up. Uh, Johan Malmgren says, quick save, quick load, repeat. The real Tom Berry. Rip and tear. Sam says blood. Blood everywhere. Zot Matrix says 
How's this possible? Cambo says, hurt me plenty. Peter Cleves said, my favourite shotgun. Specifically referring to the pump action, not the double-barreled. Yeah, I mean, that's the first 15-word, three-word review. (laughs) (laughs) Asterisk. Uh, Suits says, tricks and traps. Catboy, double-barreled hell. Andy Alexander, big friendly giant. Xavier Fox Shandy. Old-fashioned ultraviolence. And finally, Roxy says, oh, hello, Satan. So, it's one of those big games, Doom, isn't it? Um, We've already waxed lyrical and lavished it with some praise, but uh, if we could just sum up in brief, definitely in brief, uh, and recommend or not recommend, and, yeah, which version, if any, would you send people to play or send people back to? Carl? (laughs) It's strange, because even if I didn't enjoy Doom... I would still be praising Doom and urging people to play it because it's one of the cornerstones of gaming history where I I said earlier in the show that when I played it, I was very aware in that moment that gaming was changing uh, as I was, you know, progressing. And I still feel that way. I look back, Doom is phenomenally important. It it has influenced every first-person shooter that has come after. Um, and for anyone who loves video games, they owe it to themselves if they've never tried Doom to sample exactly why it's so important. There's some brilliant videos up on YouTube. There's the, there's the developer walkthrough, which is a fascinating insight into uh, their design philosophies and whatnot that I would urge people, whether they're first-person fans or not, to check out because something like that is incredibly rare. It's probably better than, than the developer commentaries that we see in most games because it's retroactively looking back at the game that they developed with a modern mindset now and that that's just invaluable um the awkward part is the version i would recommend is the playstation version which good luck with that Um, (laughs) so you can probably find it knocking around you can you can probably find it yeah just need a machine sales and whatnot ps ps2 i mean they'll play on they'll play on ps3s Early. Um, it's a PS1. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. good point. Yeah, it's a PS1 game, yeah. so it'll play on PS3. So you can find it at car boot sale, and that's the version I'd recommend. It's hard to recommend one of the new, modern, fandangled PC versions because I've not sampled them. But from what I've heard and from what I've seen, that is not the doom that I experienced, nor the doom that, you know, caused this ripple, more than a ripple, a shockwave through the gaming industry. Um, and I think people should probably see the 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 core design of that game and play a real original version if they haven't already lovely thanks carl um yeah so i really fell head over heels for doom when i first played it on ps1 in the mid 90s i wasn't quite there at the start for financial constraints um and i'm kind of pleasantly surprised by uh how well i feel it's aged and how much i enjoyed going back to it time has diminished it i'd say somewhat and obviously just familiarity as well but surprisingly for a 3d game i kind of now think of it in the same way as i think of a lot of my favorite 2d games from the arcade era in that i don't really feel like it's aged in some ways at all in terms of being a fun game to play 
um, because of all those elements we talked about, the movement, the the speed of it, the number of enemies, the combination of enemies and weapons and the extraordinary level design. Um, so, yeah, I really I'm really now jonesing to play the PS1 version again for a number of reasons. Um, but I, even though I, you know, I have the game on, on a number of formats and there's certainly, you know, you can't go far wrong by just downloading that. Uh, xbox 360 version on 360 or xbox one or get that psn version with all the levels um you're still getting a lot of fun doom and and yeah i mean we recommended wolfenstein 3d back on that podcast and uh doom was uh, carl said a a revolution i I wouldn't quite go that far because it it, it's for me it is distinctly a, a massive evolution of what what they did in wolfenstein but it certainly there's absolutely no question that it completely uh changed the video games industry forever uh, and as such should be sampled by anyone who finds a podcast like this interesting <laughs> darren gargett yeah it's hard to follow up that really it's uh it's pretty spot on but i'll go from my perspective of playing it on ultra violence on xbox 360 yes don't do it it's, it's crazy <laughs> it's ridiculous but uh if you want the bragging rights of having an achievement you can give it a shot but yeah it's uh it'll it'll send you to hell not not literally but maybe uh, maybe a mental hell it was a uh, yeah it was a bit of a torture to be honest and um once i'd started i couldn't not you know i couldn't stop basically <laughs> i had to see it through because you do get into a rhythm of how the guns work against these enemies on this difficulty and you do get into a flow of it but later on it just becomes just uh yeah a tragedy and uh something that's not fun at all so uh but overall as a as a as a uh, with the doom one and two I'd, I'd recommend playing them but it's they're so like rooting in my nostalgia that i can't really say if you're going to enjoy it or not but at least check them out and uh get an appreciation for where it came from yeah mm. i love doom i love doom thanks darren and now to conclude with our guest debutant john uh yeah again i feel like everything that i want to say about doom has been covered by you guys and previously and by the contributors as well um i would certainly recommend it it's got a huge legacy behind it uh there's definitely something to be enjoyed across the hundreds of official levels that have been created by the the original team at id or id whichever way you call it um and then there's say so there's a, a huge community. I mean, it's 25 years later almost, and there are still new levels and new skins and new designs and new tweaks and tricks and uh, additions being made to it constantly. I mean, they say we had four weeks ago, we had the original creator come back and put out a new level to replace one of the original ones. So um, there's definitely, if you have any sort of appreciation for FPS at all, I mean, if you've got any appreciation for gaming history, I think it's, you've probably already played it, but it's definitely not something that can be brushed aside. Um, it's It lives up to a lot of the expectations that I think we've given it. And yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan since as long as I can remember playing games. I liked Doom and it got me into uh, a different side of the genre and in a lot of ways it got me more interested in horror based uh, media and this is at the age of probably 9 or 10 so it had a huge impact on my life and I still enjoy playing it very regularly uh, Yeah, absolutely, there's so many ways you can try it out go for it smashing thank you everybody it does just remain for me Leon to thank Darren, Carl and John 
Uh, we'll be back in a month for more Doom Chat with our Doom 3 slash Resurrection of Evil slash BFG edition podcast. But next time, in 212, we rummage through our pockets and pull out a Game Boy and a handful of Koholint in The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening.